and welcome to this edition of Pragmatic Live. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing. Today, I'm joined by Greg Alexander, founder of Sales Benchmark Index, a sales and marketing consultancy firm focused on helping B2B companies make their number. Hi, Greg, and thanks for joining us today. Hello, good morning. It was, uh, I'm glad to be here and looking forward to the call today. Excellent. You know, one of the things that pragmatic marketing teaches is the power of personas, right? And we generally think of personas as describing the users or buyers of our product. But it can be a really helpful exercise to turn these tools inward and use them to help us understand the departments that we in product and marketing need to work with so closely. And, Greg, I thought you were going to be, you'd be a great person to help us do that today. You've spent your whole career in sales, carrying a bag, carrying a quota, um, and so if you can help bring that B2B sales persona to life for our audience, I think that would be great. Maybe we can we can combat some of that Athens versus Sparta uh, <laughs> teams that we run into in the field. Sure. So when you're addressing a sales organization, B2B sales organization, um, there's a few things that I would think about ahead of time. So first, it's not just a single person that you would address. Um, I would think about the sales rep, and there's two types of sales reps. There's an account management rep who is responsible for growing an existing account, and then there's a new logo rep who's responsible for opening new business. And those are two very different personas, and I'll come back to how they're different in a second. Then you then you go up to the sales manager. Okay, and the sales manager is the person who directs the salespeople as to what it is that they're going to do. And the sales manager plays a huge role on what the individual sales rep is going to pay attention to and what they're not. So it's probably even more important to understand the persona of that frontline sales manager. That frontline sales manager typically reports into a director. So you might hear things like, uh, you know, vice president of East Coast sales or regional director of, you know, the financial services industry, right? It's a, it's a region or a segment of the entire sales force. This is a second-line sales manager. And this person's job is really hard. They're sandwiched between um, the goals of the corporation and the needs of the field. And they also play a very important role, and it's important for you to understand their persona because they're influencing the sales manager, who then influences the sales rep. And then these regional sales leaders usually roll into, you know, a head of sales. And these titles can be chief sales officer, executive vice president of sales, senior vice president, vice president, you name it, as all these titles. And that person is also incredibly important. That's a, usually a direct report to the CEO. It is very often the second most powerful person in a company because this person holds the revenue number. It's usually um, the second most highly paid person in the company, um, the second only to the CEO, and therefore has a tremendous amount of political clout. So that's kind of the, the landscape, if you will, if you're thinking about how to influence these people. And what you say and talk to each one of those people about is very different. The message I'm trying to convey to you here is ignoring them, any one of them, is kind of uh, ignoring a critical link in the chain. So you want to get the head of sales, the regional sales leaders, the frontline sales managers, and the sales reps on board. 
All right, but let's start with the with the rep, and, and let's let's do what you teach here, and let's come up with a name. So let's call this person Rick the Rep. So Rick the Rep, what does Rick care about? Number one thing by a mile, job security. Okay, the Rick the Reps are in a position that has high turnover. In the B2B world, the average turnover for Rick the Rep is 20% per year. Um, in some B2B organizations, depending on their sales model, it's much, much higher than that. And the pain of losing your job for lack of performance or for any other reason is severe. Um, it usually requires, uh, you know, launching a new job search, which means uh, working for a new boss, working for a new company, learning a new product, learning a new industry, learning a new set of competitors. Sometimes, God forbid, it might involve a relocation. Um, it causes all kinds of disruption at home. If you have to relocate, you got to pull your kids out of school, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's incredibly disruptive. <clears throat> so job security by a mile is their number one important thing. So if you're a product team and you're trying to gain the mind share of Rick the Rep, you know, what should you emphasize? Well, what you want to emphasize to that person is that, you know, your product or products are things that, that you're passionate about are in high demand from his target customer base, that they're going to be relative to the other things he might be paying attention to uh, easier to sell. Rick the Rep deals with rejection all day, every day. And a glimmer of hope is a powerful thing. If Rick the Rep feels as if he pulls your product out of the bag first and has a result of that, his telephone call is going to get returned, his email is going to get returned, he's granted access to an executive's calendar and a sales meeting is granted, then that's going to make his life. Rick the Rep has grown up in a world that he's been trained where activity breeds success. And he's going to manage his phone. He's going to say, if I work backwards from my revenue goal, how many proposals do I need to submit? How many opportunities do I need to generate where I actually submit a proposal? How many leads do I need to have to result in the appropriate number of opportunities? He's going to reverse engineer his funnel. Proposals to opportunities, opportunities to leads. To keep it simple, that's the way to think about it. Um, second to job security, <clears throat> I would say income is his second important criteria. It's not uncommon for Rick the rep, and this could be Suzanne the rep. I'm just using a male version of this to make this easy. I hope I don't offend anybody by doing that. Um, usually, Rick the Rep will have somewhere between 30 and 50% of his income tied to uh, hitting a revenue objective. Variable base pay is what it's called. It could be paid in the form of a bonus. It could be paid in the form of commission, what have you. And in most B2B sales organizations, the base salary <clears throat> is just enough, maybe not even, barely enough to cover one's monthly obligations, the mortgage, put gas in the tank, food in the fridge, et cetera, and everything else in life, your kid's education, maybe a family vacation, you know, 
I don't know, a car for your 17-year-old daughter, what have you, come from the bonus in the commission pool. And if they hit their number, they make their money. If they don't, they don't. So what does that mean to a product person? Well, you'll have to prove to that salesperson that by representing your product, they are going to make their number. It's that easy. Draw that relationship. If you go and talk to a sales rep about the features and the benefits of your product and you get all excited about the bells and whistles, the salesperson, for the most part, is not going to care. If you go talk to a sales rep, you should say something to the effect of, I took a look at your territory, and I noticed that you've got 50 accounts. And of those 50 accounts, you know, 30 of them have bought, you know, product A, which we've been selling for three years. And the other 20 have not. And by the way, you know, you're the third rep that's been in this territory over the last 10 years. So we pretty much have talked to every one of your accounts about product A. And the fact that we've penetrated 30 out of 50, and of course this is just an illustrative example, would suggest that maybe we've reached the point of diminishing returns on that. I'm a product manager, and I represent product B. And across those same 50 accounts, you know, we've got five of them that have bought product B. So there's 45 that haven't. And if you get product B to be successful as product A, you're going to sell 25 more deals. Oh, by the way, the company average deal size for product B is, I don't know, $100,000. And the win rate for product B is, I don't know, 30%. And here are the sales reps in the other region of the company that have retired their quota and made their number by selling product B. And here are the particulars of their deals to back up the numbers that I just gave you deal sizes, company names, win rates, etc. So the way that I see it is the path to you being successful, keeping your job and earning a living, is to sell product B and draw the direct connection to income and job security. Now beyond that, in terms of Rick the Rep, with those you know, if we think about this as uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, <laughs> those are the basic needs. You know, beyond that, salespeople are very competitive, and, you know, they want to be the best in their region or the best in their company. They understand that they could show up for work one day and their company could pull the rug right out from underneath them and fire them because they're employed at will. So they're very focused on their marketability. Um, and they might be focused on their promotability. Maybe they want to become a sales manager, a director, or a VP of sales. Because normally when that happens, there's a, uh, a proportional increase in income and proportional increase in job security. And if those are the motivations of our friend Rick the Rep, then, of course, you want to do exactly what I just described to you, but apply it slightly differently. So connect your product to those objectives, marketability, promotability, etc., and use examples of other people in the company that have accomplished those goals because they sold your product. So I could go on and on and on and on to talk about Rick the Rep. I was Rick the Rep for many years. It was a very happy time period in my life. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Rick the Rep. He has a brutally difficult job. The supply and demand equation there is way out of whack. There's a huge demand 
for high-quality salespeople, and unfortunately, there's very little supply. So if you should find yourself fortunate enough to have an opportunity to work with an A-player sales rep, uh, take it very seriously and form a mutually beneficial partnership. That was a great description. I feel like I've, I've, I have met Ricks, several Ricks, right? Bringing it to life was great. Clearly, um, evidence, numbers, seems like something that appeals to, to Rick. What if it's a new product? So what if I don't have as much experience to go back and throw at him? What can I use with Rick? Okay, so two different things here. It depends on the type of Rick. So if it's a new product and you're selling to a Rick, to a Rick uh, who's managing an existing book of business of current clients, um, the number one thing that you got to do is you got to prove to him or her that by selling the product that you're not going to have a dip in client satisfaction. The product can't be vaporware. It can't be, you know, an unsubstantiated set of promises. It has to be real. So what is Rick the Rep going to care about? They're going to care about the business case. So why did the company bring this product out in the first place? Okay. Who is it targeted at? What problem does it solve? And if I'm managing an existing book of business, the thing that's most important to me is my relationships with my customer, both at the executive decision-making level and also within the user community. So does this product address a pain point that I know that my specific accounts, forget about the overall listening to the market, I'm just thinking about my accounts that they have. Because I don't want to force something on them that you know maybe they don't need. If I clear that hurdle, then I want to say, okay, how do I know it's going to work? You know, talk to me about the alpha customers, the beta customers, maybe the early ship customers, or, you know, if you're an agile shop, you know, talk to me about, you know, the first iterations on the original use case, how many iterations have we been through, what are the milestones, you know, how long has the MVP been out in the marketplace, you know, where are we in all that? And your focus there should be all around risk reduction. That's the first thing. Secondly, Rick the reps in the, in the, uh, when someone who's managing existing business, um, they want to be perceived by their customer as an expert, as somebody who really knows what they're doing. So Rick's going to be a little afraid to go sell the new product because he might not have a lot of experience with it. So the way that you can help him there is you can offer to go meet his customer with him and be the subject matter expert on that product. That's a very effective thing to do. The way that you get Rick the Rep to do that is you go through a role play. Rick the Rep's going to be really important. I'm sorry, really protective of his relationships. And the last thing he wants to do is put a bozo in front of his customer. Customer FaceTime is precious. It's hard to get in today's you know, overly saturated world where everyone is time-starved. So suggest to Rick the rep that, you know, we do a little role play and say, okay, Rick, you be the customer. I'm going to be the subject matter expert, and let me prove to you that I'm worthy of going in front of your customer. The second thing that you can do is you can train Rick the rep on the product. And you can say, listen, let's, t- let's, let's take little bite-sized attempts here. First thing I want you to do is go talk to your customer about just this little piece of our messaging stack. See what the reaction is. you got nothing to lose. If he's not interested, we won't progress. If your customer is interested, then we'll go to the second step. So you send Rick off to share this little piece of the messaging. He comes back and says, holy cow, you know, I had no idea that he was going to be that interested in this, but he asked me 25 questions and I didn't have any answers. Okay, great. 
Are you ready for me to go meet with your customer? Do you still want to do it? And what do I, if you want to do it on your own, what, how, do, how can I enable you? What do you need for me to allow you to go have that conversation? Maybe it's a set of questions, maybe it isn't. Or maybe he says, hey, why don't you come make a sales call with me? Now, if Rick the Rep does that, okay, this is the moment of truth. You botched this, you're dead. The reason why you're dead is Rick the Rep talks to all the other Rick the Reps. And the water cooler rumor mill will just tear you down. On the flip side, if you are a rock star, if you're someone when put in front of a customer, creates new opportunities in that customer, accelerates the sales campaign, grows the billings in an account, et cetera, et cetera, then you'll have a different problem. You'll have every Rick the Rep in the world calling you up saying, hey, come fly out to my territory and make sales calls. So that's new product application to the current book of business. Let's talk about new products targeted at new logos. So this is really hard. So what is Rick, Rick the Rep's mentality here? Well, this individual is somebody who likes to storm the hill. You know, he is an infantry troop. You know, the, he's a Marine and loves the thrill of the hunt. And what is he looking for? He's looking for the new shiny object. I need a reason to get in front of these customers. <clears throat> they're not they're not our customers, excuse me, they're prospects. I can't get they have no idea who I am. They don't even know that they have a problem that I can solve. Or if they are aware of the problem, they don't even know how our product solves that particular problem. Maybe I'm not even a consideration set. So the key there, it's all about lead generation. So the way to partner with Rick the Rep in the new logo space is through marketing. I would go meet with the marketing team. I would find out who is in charge of demand gen and lead gen. And I would say, okay, I want to go partner with Rick the Rep in Chicago. And that Rick has these hundred accounts where this new product is a perfect fit. Let's talk about our campaign schedule against those hundred accounts. First off, do we know the decision makers in those accounts? Do we have things like mobile telephone numbers and email addresses? If not, let's go build that stuff out. Um, here was, you know, our persona when we were building the product. Here's the problem we're going after. Here's our unique differentiation. Let's build some offers. Let's build some compelling calls to action. Then I would say, okay, how are we going to reach this person? What are our channels? And I would look at everything from email to social to texting to retargeting to you name it. And I would engage in a lead generation um, activity. Hopefully you'll be successful. So now when you pick up the phone and you call Rick the rep, your voicemail to Rick who's blowing you off and might not know who you are is, hey, Rick, my name is Greg Alexander, and I'm the product owner for XYZ Product. I've been marketing in your territory for the last three months, and I have four qualified leads that I'd like to talk to you about. What are the chances of that person calling you back? 100%. And that's how I would approach the new logo rep with the new product. That's great. And I, I think one of the points that you made about, about the new product, about proving our worth to go and talk to their customers yep. is a, a powerful sentiment, not just um, 
for this, but for all the market visits we want to do, right? If we want to be able to get in front of the, if we want them to trust us to talk to their accounts, then we have to earn that trust. And, and I think you gave some great hints for how we can do that. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the sales manager, and let's come up with a cool little name for him. Uh, let's call him Maddie the manager. Okay, so who is Maddie the manager? Nine times out of ten, Maddie was the hotshot Rick the rep, and now he's Maddie the manager. Okay. What does Maddie care about? So Maddie has a quota, just like Rick. It's usually a roll-up of all of the sales reps' quotas. So if, the, if I have 10 sales reps and each sales rep has a $10 million number, I probably have a $10 million number. There may be some over-assignment. So maybe I have a $9 million number and I assigned out 10. But usually it's, you know, it's pretty close. Okay. How am I paid? I'm paid in a similar way uh, in terms of the split between base pay and variable pay. Sometimes it's a little bit more base. So instead of maybe 50-50 base and variable, maybe it's 60-40 or 70-30. And the reason for that is, is that the company is going to ask Maddie, the manager, to do some things that are staff-like, you know, maybe hiring and onboarding salespeople, as an example. So that's reflected in the increase in base pay. The big difference is, is that the variable pay is usually um, the variables that make up the variable pay is usually a little bit different than Rick the Rep. Rick the Rep has very often a straight quota assigned to a territory. Most Matty and the man Matty managers, excuse me, Matty the managers, um, are paid on sales efficiency as well. Sometimes people call that sales productivity. So what do I mean by that? So let's go back to our example of I'm Matty the manager and I have 10 reps. Okay. If I hit my number <clears throat> of $10 million, but I did that because two of my sales reps each did $5 million and the other eight didn't do anything, I'm in trouble. Why am I in trouble? Well, I had to pay those other eight people, and they didn't sell anything. They didn't even sell enough. If they sold a little, they didn't sell enough to break even. And they clearly didn't sell enough to justify their employment. So managing the manager is also paid on sales productivity, and that's usually measured on the percentage of salespeople that are at plan. So back to our example of 10 reps at each of a million dollars. So if six or seven of them are at plan, they hit their quota, that's pretty good. If only two of them out of the eight, that's pretty bad. And unfortunately, most many the managers are plagued with the 80-20 rule. 20% 20 of the sales reps bring in 80% of the business, and that's a problem. Now, how do you relate to them, to these many of the managers? Solve that problem. Show him that you can get great contribution from all the sales reps by partnering effectively with you or selling your product, and that that's an answer to that particular problem. Also, most many of the managers are usually managing a blend of new logo salespeople and existing account salespeople. So make sure that 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 uh, story that I gave you when we were talking about Rick the Rep, uh, you also repeat that story to Maddie the manager. Help 
Maddie, the manager, understand who he should be hiring, connect the requirements of the job to the product attributes. So what do I mean by that? So let's say your product is highly technical and sophisticated, but Maddie, the manager, is hiring a relationship-based salesperson. Well, that's a mistake. Not that relationships aren't important. They are. But if the highly technical product that you sell is being bought by a highly sophisticated technical buyer, relationships by themselves aren't going to get the job done. So have a conversation with Maddie, the manager. A big part of his job is hiring and developing people. Remember, he's dealing with this turnover problem. A disaster for Maddie, the manager, is, is I'm carrying a number for a, team, for a team of 10, but I got three open wrecks on my org chart because three people quit. So now I only have seven people, yet I'm carrying the number for 10. That usually means I'm going to miss my number. So making sure that I have all the butts in the seats and making sure that those people are productive is key. The other thing that Maddie is plagued with is the distribution of talent. So I mentioned the 80-20 rule, 20% of the reps doing 80% of the business. Most often, there's a A player, B player, C player distribution that's a standard bell curve. So I have 20% of my team as A players. I have 60% of my team as B players. And I have 20% of my team as C players. Most Matty, the managers, unfortunately, hold on to the C players because they believe bad breath is better than no breath. And that's a mistake. They don't have the courage to replace those people with A players. Now, if they do, you should help Matty, the manager, modify his job spec and his interview questions based on your product. So he's hiring somebody that actually has the competency to sell your product. So that's how to help him with the C player conversation. The big challenge for Matty, though, unfortunately, is that 60% of his sales team falls into that B player category. So why exactly are they B players? So I would help Matty assess his sales team against their ability to sell your product. Maybe do some role plays, you know, maybe help him um, in his performance review process and kind of understand what the deficiencies are of each person, each salesperson that's in that B player category. And then offer some assistance there. So if you assess a salesperson as a B player, somebody who's not giving you A player performance, but somebody who's not a C player, you want to move that person from B player to A player. So if the assessment comes out and says, hey, this person could be an, e play, an A player if they could do you know, one, two, and three, maybe some of that one, two, and three is product related. Maybe you could help that Maddie, the manager, with some support. Maybe the support is an increase in product marketing. Maybe the support is an adjustment to the sales enablement program. Maybe the support is taking a fresh look at the onboarding process of a new salesperson and making sure that the product piece is done correctly. Maybe the support is um, working with the product overlay team as a subject matter expert and making targeted sales calls. There's a number of things that you could do to um, form a relationship with Maddie, the manager, and help them with that majority B player category. The big takeaway, and this is the last thing that I'll share with you, is the one thing that you want Maddie, the manager, to think 
is that you believe in your bones that sales is everyone's job. You're not some product manager drawing a salary who doesn't really care about the field. You're a product manager that not only is passionate about your product and the problems that it solves and the benefits it gives to the customers, but you're equally passionate about the impact that your product can make on the lives of many the manager through things like job security and income and things like that. So you want that Maddie the manager to say, hey, I know Greg in product management, and he's a sales-focused product manager. When I call Greg, he's willing to help me. When I need something from Greg, he's willing to help me. He really takes this sales management gig serious, and we're lucky to have him. Excellent, and I, I think um, I think there's some great advice in there. I, I know, uh, you know, I, we hear the stories about, gosh, I go and try and help sales, and all they do is roll their eyes at me. And, and um, I think you've given some good ways to help change that dialogue, to show that you're not there to to show them what they're doing wrong. You're there to help everybody succeed. And I think that everybody always wants to work with someone like that, right? Yeah, yeah, no question. You know, and if you run into that, you know, if you go to help sales and they roll their eyes in the head, then you know that's your challenge that you have to overcome, right? And when that happens, and just say to the, say to the salesman, say, "Listen, I'm, I'm here to help, and you're rejecting my help." Which, and you're a smart person, you wouldn't be here. So something tells me that you've had, you know, a bad experience with the previous person, previous product manager. So, so what didn't go wrong? Didn't go right? And if what could I do for you? I'm offering my assistance. You have a big number to hit. You got a lot at stake. If I was you and I had that much at stake, I'd take help from anybody who was willing to help me. So what am I missing? Yeah, that would be a great way to open up a, a good, helpful dialogue. Yeah. When I was that sales manager, <laughs> I got accused of the other thing. I mean, I had every person from product I could get my hands on in my territory every single week. <laughs> and they would complain. <laughs> And, and my peers in sales management would get really mad at me because every time they would call up looking for a product specialist or something, they were always in my territory making sales calls. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's both extremes, right? <laughs> yeah, there is. But you probably will find that, too. You probably find uh, – I had an old boss years ago that told me, pardon my French here, he said, uh, the biggest pains in the ass are your top performers. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the other thing too, you know, if you have some people that are eager to jump in with you, maybe start there. All right, this was extremely helpful in illuminating this this key sales product team relationship and what we can do on both sides to make it better. Um I know that you and your team have a myriad of resources on this topic uh, as as well, uh, including a great quarterly magazine. So I encourage all our listeners to sign up and in fact the link to your subscription page is in the notes below. below. Uh, thank you, Greg, for your time today. It was most helpful. Oh, I enjoyed it, and I hope it was helpful to everybody, and, and good luck to all the listeners. Excellent. All right, that does it for this edition of Pragmatic Live. Until next time, remember, nothing important happens in the office. Go out and listen to your market today. <laughs>